Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. As you're seated this morning, I want to just encourage you to repeat to yourself those last six words that we sang. I am a child of God. Powerful phrase. And if you are one of his children, I hope that just brings you encouragement and strength. And my prayer is also, if you're here this morning and, and you're not sure of that truth yet, that before you leave here, that would be reality in your life. I am a child of God. Welcome to Calvary. Uh, I know Josh has already uh, told you he's glad you're here, and I want to repeat that. Thank you for joining us today here in person. It's good to see your bright and shining faces, and thank you also for those joining us online. We're glad that you're able to be with us and gather as we come together to learn and to worship uh, together in, in God's house today. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know as we've come into this 2021, we're, we're looking at this idea of moving forward. Uh, where we've been, uh, God has, has been gracious and helped us in so many ways, but we, we believe he's, he's calling us to move forward, to just continue to take those next steps. Uh, we've talked about that in church here the last couple of weeks. We've had some very uh, important leadership meetings, different teams within the church, and we've been talking about that very topic of, of God leading us and where we're going, and we're excited about uh, what God is doing in us, among us, through us, and we're looking forward to what God's going to do in 2021. But I have to say, I believe we've started this year with that in thought in mind on the right foot, and that is talking about what we've been these last couple of weeks about praying it forward. The idea of, yes, we're moving, but we're not moving on our own initiative and with our own strength. That comes as we uh, are seeking and, and speaking to the one who, who is able to do more than we could ever imagine. So we're praying it forward. And that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks. And, and many of you have been a part of, of our prayer journals or you've been a part of some of our activities tonight. Uh, we come together for our, kind of a wrap-up of this 21 days of prayer, and that will be at 5 o'clock here in the auditorium. We'll be um, praying. We'll be sharing testimony of the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a wonderful time. I hope you're able to join us this evening as we kind of bring this 21 days to a conclusion. Uh, first, we start off this year talking about a prayer that Paul prayed to his friends of Ephesus. And essentially, it's a prayer that I hope we're all kind of grabbing a hold of, and that is, I, I want to know God better. That this week, this day, uh, this year, that we just truly have a better awareness and are, are closer to the, in that relationship. So knowing God better, last Sunday, if you were able to watch us or to be with us, uh, Chris Goodman was able to preach about, remember that door that he talked about, the push. Pray until something happens, right? And that idea of enduring and persisting in prayer and what God could do as, as we pray in, in that way. So as we move forward today, I want to talk to you about the high call of prayer, a high calling of prayer. We're actually going to speak about a specific aspect of prayer that I think all of us are familiar with. As we get into it, you'll understand what I'm saying. But I, I truly believe that maybe we don't we don't understand it quite as well as we think we do, perhaps, and maybe we're not using it to the full ability that God has designed for us. So as we talk about this high calling, I want to start in a in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a, an example from Genesis chapter number 18. And, and there's a guy in this particular account that you probably have heard of. His name's Abraham, uh, the, the kind of the founder of the, of the Jewish faith, the, the one that God called as the chosen people. Abraham is in a very unique position here. He's actually face-to-face -face with the Lord. 
In this chapter, the, the Lord has allowed himself to be seen in a, a human form, and, and Abraham's having a, a one-on-one conversation with him, kind of an interesting endeavor. And the Lord speaks to him in this way. We'll pick it up in verse number 20. The Lord said, and he says to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached to me, and if not, I will know. The next verse says, And the men that were with him turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And that kind of sets our stage. Here's now Abraham alone with God having this incredible conversation that begins to ensue. In fact, we'll find that Abraham kind of initiates the next part of this this conversation by asking God some very pointed questions. Here's what we kind of know from understanding the background is that Abraham would have been aware of some of the evils, the problems in Sodom and Gomorrah that God was talking about. Uh, He had a relative that resided there with his family, his nephew Lot. So Abraham, I'm sure, was aware of what was going on and probably would have said, I get what God's saying. This is a, there's a lot of problems in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so with that in mind, he knew that what God was, was talking about, and he, he understood judgment's coming. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to, there, there is a, a, a judgment that God has pr- proclaimed based on their wickedness. So with that in mind, God and Abraham have this conversation. And, and you see in this, this incredible relationship that Abraham had with God. In fact, New Testament says that Abraham was a friend of God, a, a wonderful idea, and it, it, something we can remember. God says that we are also, as through Christ, are his friends. But this is a relationship that they're speaking just one-on-one. In fact, look how Abraham now addresses God. Verse 23, Abraham approached him, the Lord, and he said, "'Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked?' What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the, sick, for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? He, gets, he even gets, goes further. He says, next verse, Far be it from you, God, or the Lord, to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Some pretty bold statements, Abraham. You're looking at God in the face. You're saying, God, are you sure? Is this something that, are you sure this would be the right thing to do, God? He's kind of asking him in a a very inquisitive fashion. And here's what's incredible is God's response. Verse 26, the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. God responds to Abraham's bold prayer. Now, what the rest of this conversation, I'll let you read it yourself because it's very interesting. It's almost as if Abraham's bargaining with God. We just heard, he says, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare it? God says, I will. So Abraham's thinking and he goes, "Uh, what if there's only 45? (laughs) God says, I'll spare it for 45. And he keeps moving. What about 40? What about 30? What about, give me, give me a 40, no, 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 I'm just kidding. It wasn't quite that auction, but you get the point. And then he comes down 20. What if, God, there's only 10 righteous people in the city? Would you spare it? And God responds, I will spare the city if we find 10 righteous people in this place. Now, this is an incredible conversation. And we would, talking to the Lord, this would be an understanding of a prayer that Abraham's asking some very bold requests of God. Six times 
He implores God about uh, withholding his judgment if he finds the righteous, and six times God answers, if I find that, I will spare the city. What an incredible picture that we have here. I know that Abraham had a nephew there. He had some family, but even he starts off, it's more than just his family. He's praying for his family, but also for others. He may not even know their name, not even know who they are, but he's praying on their behalf to God. He's speaking to God in, on their person. And what's incredible is God responded. God actually spoke back to him on behalf of, of the people that maybe Abraham had never even met. Now, what we want to talk about today, this high calling, I, this is the first example of what we would refer to in this, and I call it a high calling from God when it comes to prayer. The word we would use is the word intercession. The word of interceding for others, going to God in the behalf of others. Let me ask it, start it this way, ask you a question. If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask for? Now, just think about that question. I, I don't know, but I think most of us, one of the first things, it would come about something for us. I, I need help in this. I, I'd like help in here for, for my job, for my relationship, for my, my body, for whatever, for me to find a parking spot, whatever. There would be something about me. And that's, understand, that's incredibly important. God has actually said to cast your burdens on him. Take those cares before him. Trust in him as you pray. Before. That's part of it. That's how we stop worry. Remember, as he said, take everything to him in prayer. But my suggestion for today is, if that's the majority of what our prayers revolve around is for us, we're missing an incredible part of what God intends for prayer to do. And it comes back to this word, intercession. By definition, in case you, you're unaware, intercession literally means to intervene. Uh, it means pleading, praying to God on the behalf of someone else. Here's what I want us to do today. All that we've been reminded of in the last few weeks, all that you know about prayer and the importance and even the push that we talked about, put, pray until something happens. Take all of that, and I want you now to focus it on the idea of taking that, what you know, and putting it in praying for other people. The importance of intercession is what I believe is this high calling that God has given us as his people when we, when we pray. Now, there's a lot of examples in the Scriptures and you'll, we'll, we'll kind of touch on some as we go through this today. But one that classic, in my opinion, uh, a descendant of this Abrahams who we've talked about, his name is Moses. Maybe you've heard that name too, right? Those are kind of the two big names, Abraham, Moses. Uh, Moses comes several hundred years after Abraham. And when Moses comes on the scene, Israel has been in captivity in Egypt for over 400 years. Moses rises up and God is going to use him to, to lead the people out of slavery, right? Uh, kind of like the song that we just sang, it, it leading them out of that captivity. So Moses does, God uses him. The, the people are out of Egypt. They have the Red Sea experience. All these great things have happened to them. But it doesn't take long for Israel to revert back to some old bad habits that they picked up in Egypt. One day Moses isn't around and the people are kind of a fearful, and so they actually, they actually construct an, a golden idol of a, of, a, of a calf, and then Aaron tells them, now we're going to bow down, we're going to worship this idol, and he actually says, because this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Wow, what a slap in the face of the Almighty. And God was not all too happy with that experience, and he had let Moses know how unhappy he was. 
So now Moses responds to God. Listen to how God, Moses speaks. In Exodus 32, Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. He doesn't pull any punches, no excuses. We, what they did was horrible, God. They have, they have defied you. But look at the next phrase. This is what we call intercession. Verse 32, but now please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses literally says, God, please forgive them. But if you can't forgive them, then please take my name out of the book. I, I will go with them. That's the heart of intercession. As we're looking at Moses and even Abraham's example, what we're seeing now, it takes intercession, I believe, to a different level. Now we're starting to see a precedent here that intercession is going to be costly. Intercession, true, genuine intercession is going to require sacrifice even as it does in, in, Abra in Abraham and even Moses' case. And that, that's something that is going to cost. So remember that as we talk about intercession. Because the greatest example of intercession we have actually comes in the New Testament. The picture we have in Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 is speaking of Jesus... And in fact, this very first question, it's important. If you say you know Christ, this is an important question for all of us. Who is the one who condemns us? Is there, who can condemn us if we're in Jesus Christ? And the simple answer is no one. There is no condemnation if you're in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, that's phenomenal stuff. But look why that happens. The next phrase goes on to say, because Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, look at this, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God is praying for you. Jesus is interceding to the Father on your behalf. That's what we, gives us the hope that we have is that there is a Savior, a go-between between us and the Father, and he intercedes. He lifts us up before, before the Father. But don't miss it. It's associated with two very powerful things. He died and he rose again for our sins. It's about receiving that gift of salvation. And once you have, there is no condemnation. And from that point on, the Son intercedes to the Father for you. Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews 7.25 goes on to say it like this. He, that's Christ, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's always the go-between. We have no hope. The only hope we have is this, that to have a standing with God is if there's someone, a perfect sacrifice that goes between us and God, and that is Jesus. He's the only one that can make that happen, and he does, and he ever lives to intercede, to be the go-between, to give us that life forever. Jesus always lives to intercede for us. What a powerful picture that Jesus, the intercessor, but... My question is, what about us, followers of Christ, those who have, we're beneficiaries of this great intercessor on our behalf, how are we at interceding for others? How are we at interceding like a Moses or an Abraham or even in, in the life of, of Jesus, the example of praying for others? Here's, here's my statement today. I really believe that God is calling us as his people to intercede. We have a calling to intercede for others. Now, even as I say that, some of you are probably saying, well, yeah, I do that. I pray for other people. 
I'm sure you do. You have a list of people you pray for, and I, I, I thank you. That's phenomenal. I hope I made your list, because I hope you're praying for me. I do believe that that's happening, that we do pray, and I, I don't discount that at all. That's not my point. But as I've studied this idea of intercession, and specifically an example we're going to look at here in a moment, I've been challenged this week to, to look at how I intercede and look at the way in which I intercede. And is, does my intercession look anything like a biblical-type genuine intercession that we have examples, ones we've already seen and ones that we're going to see? So I've been personally challenged, and I hope you'll just kind of open your mind to see, let God show you that maybe our intercession could use some, some enhancement, some improvement. Let me introduce you to a young man in the New Testament. In Colossians chapter number 4, we have a friend of Paul's that Paul introduces. His name is Epaphras. And if he, in Colossians chapter number 4, verse number 12, this is how it begins. Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends greetings. Now, a couple of things are off the bat that we learn about Epaphras. He's one of them. So the people at Colossae, he's part of their group. Uh, he's part of their church. They would know him, right? He's, he's part of, of those in here. We, we know Epaphras is mentioned three times in the New Testament. The first time is still in Colossians. It's the first chapter of Colossians, verse number 7, where it says that you learned from Epaphras. So we're putting some things together, kind of putting the puzzle together about Epaphras because he's only mentioned those three times. And we get the impression that Epaphras was probably uh, a leader, perhaps the pastor of the church of Colossae, um, and maybe even one that helped found that church, put it in place. And he also had a strong connection with two other towns, two other churches, which you read in the next verse. Paul says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Those are three, three towns that you may not know too much, but they're, they're big towns at, at that time in history. And it seems that Epaphras was at least a leader, if not the pastor, perhaps, of all three of those. They, they were in pretty close proximity, those churches and those people there. So he said, he's from within you. You would know him. And, but that phrase there in verse 13, he says, he is working hard for you. Now, depending on your translation, it could say something like this. He has a deep concern for you. He has a real passion for your welfare. He has much zeal for you. You, Colossae and, and these other two cities, he, is, he has a great passion for your benefit. Now we're starting to see a little bit of who this Epaphras was, not only a leader, but also the heart that he has for the people in which he's a part of, in which he serves, in which he, he knows, and his love and his great concern for their insight. Those are great insights. But verse number 12 tells us how that, that was displayed in the greatest way possible. Verse number 12, here's how Paul says of Epaphras, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. We don't know a lot about Epaphras, but one thing that Paul makes sure we know is that he prayed for other people. He prayed for these that he knew. He was, the term he'll talk is wrestling in prayer for them. He was interceding for them, speaking on their behalf before God. What's interesting, one of the other three times that Epaphras is mentioned, he's actually referred to, Paul calls him a fellow prisoner with me. So we get the idea that at some point in their journeys, Paul and Epaphras, 
uh, paths not only crossed, they were probably in jail together for preaching the gospel. He was a fellow prisoner. They seem to have sometime perhaps been chained together. So if that's true, then my picture in my mind goes to something like this. That we're, they're sitting there chained together, and it's, it's about bedtime, and Paul's trying to sleep, and he hears Epaphras naming all the names of those people in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis and crying out to God in their behalf because Paul says, I know he prays hard for you. I know one of the, the things about Epaphras to all of you here is he is praying diligently. He is working hard for your best interests. So what does this kind of intercession look like that, that puts Epaphras in this category as one who wrestled in prayer? What does that look like? How does my intercession look like in comparison to that? How, how about yours? What is, I think this becomes one of the greatest challenges as we learn not just to say that we pray for others, but what, what kind of prayer is intercession and, and how can it change my life? Lord, I want this to be a part of me and I hope it to be a part of our church. So let me just pull out four things I see about Epaphras and his intercessory prayer that I want you to just kind of take and evaluate your own life. Here's what I know. Intercession, based on this example, is a call to pray constantly. Look at the phrase again. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Always. Now we all know you're never supposed to use the word never or always, right? Especially when you're in discussion of other people because it's just too broad. Always, never. You always do that. You never, No, that's not true. So why would Paul use that? In fact, the word means at all times. It's just, just a blown out exaggeration. Maybe except I've seen a pattern in Scripture that this kind of concept is talked about in prayer. For instance, Luke chapter 18, verse number one, Jesus himself said this. He said, men should always pray and not give up. Uses the same word. First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul talking to, a, a, to his friends there uses a term, and depending on your translation, he says, pray continually. Your version, you may remember, pray without ceasing. Or another version says, always pray and never give up. Now, what are we talking about? Are we saying that 24-7, you're to have your head bowed and eyes closed? It gets a little dangerous walking across the room or driving your car. I wouldn't recommend it. It's not talking about that, that posture. It's talking about your life being in this constant atmosphere of prayer. It's like this constant conversation, and sometimes you stop and bow on your knees. Sometimes, but it's, it's a fact that you and God seem to be in this. It, it's just an, an unbroken way, and, and we grow in that. Are any of us there yet? Probably not, but we're growing in that direction of always praying. So now Paul puts that in Epaphras' boat and says that's how he prays for others, always, constantly. In fact, if you go back to verse number two, I think he's of the same chapter. It kind of explains when Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Prayer is something we do. That's what Christians do, right? What, there's a difference between praying and devoting yourself to prayer. There's a difference between praying and praying always. A difference about praying for others and praying for them constantly. And it's an idea that this wasn't just some lethargic kind of running through my list and I, you know, I pray for them today and I'll, I'll wait till next. It's, it's, a not, it's the idea, this is what Paul says, Epaphras was constantly lifting these people's names up before, their, before the Lord, taking their names to God's throne. So my question came, am I constantly in prayer? an ongoing prayer for others and their needs and what God has for them. Another thought that I learned from Epaphras, in intercession in prayer is prayer that is intensive. Look at the phrase that Paul uses for him. He says, he is always, 
wrestling in prayer for you. Now, there's some other terms. Your, your translation may say he labored earnestly or he was striving in prayer, or contending in prayer. All those are the same word, but I like that word wrestling kind of gives me a, a good mental picture. If you've ever, and some of you have seen wrestling or you, maybe you were a wrestler in high school or, or college, whatever, and, and it's that, that grappling and that, the muscles tense and, the, and everything they had and that movement to get to somebody and that, that picture of wrestling, that's, that's the picture he paints of how, how this intercession of Epaphras for these people, it is a word that in that time was for athletic competition. It was for military as well. It was that striving, contending, that there's an English word that we get from this word here, and that's the word agony. Think about that, agonizing in prayer for someone else. That's the description that Paul said of Epaphras. He was praying for you always, but he was doing it intensively in, in using this idea of, of an agony. In fact, there's another example in Scripture of a prayer something like this. You may recognize when Jesus on his last night before the crucifixion went to a garden called Gethsemane and he prayed to his father there. And Luke 22 describes it this way. It says, and being in anguish, that's the same word, agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now that's intensive prayer. It was anguish prayer. It was prayer that literally brought him to the point of earnest prayer where his, his sweat became blood. I mean, it was that kind of intense prayer. We go back to this word when, it's, when he says wrestling in prayer. It's not like he's wrestling God for an answer to prayer. Like, come on, God, I'll take you on. Give me this. It's not a, about getting something from God. It's, it's, a, it's not, his, it's not that, that point of the prayer. The prayer is that his heart was so moved that when he prayed and he prayed for others, it was an anguish. There was a cry. There was a, a movement of, I, I, want, I need this to happen. That our prayers get to that point when it's not just a, a, a rote prayer or something we've, we've read or we've heard or we just say because we have, but it, there's this intensity involved. That's the description that he gives of, of this prayer, that he wrestled. It displays how costly. Remember Moses? I, God, either forgive them or take my name out. It's that kind of intensity. It's that kind of looking at other people and being moved with their condition in prayer, working hard, deep. I love, I care. So God, please do something in their life. You, only you can. Is that the condition of our prayers? Is that often, I, as, as I read that, I, I found myself a little bit convicted by that. But the fact that, I, you know, I, I, I come to God and I, I, I speak others' names, but how often is my heart broken over the needs of somebody else? And I'm lifting them up with that kind of an attitude and that kind of a, a spirit. I read this week, uh, Warren Wearsby said that praying that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Praying that is, that is really not from the movement and the, and the desire of our hearts. He, he goes on to say that in the middle of all the churches organizing, there ought to be more agonizing. That yes, churches need to have structure, and or, but they, the biggest thing is they need to agonize in prayer over God, only you can do this. God, only you can change people. God, look at this, folks, and please do something in our lives. That agony of prayer that he, that he speaks of. My question to me was, do I, does my prayer cost me anything? Do I agonize in prayer personally? 
Do I really see that it's that big that I, I, I come to God with that movement for myself? And then how about others? Sure, I pray for them, but is it with that intensity that we see from Epaphras? Just picture that wrestler engaged, every muscle taut, ready to take on. Is that how we pray? Is that how we pray for other people? Intercession. Epaphras teaches us something else. Intercession is also a call to pray personally. Look at the phrase. He said, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. Now, simply, Paul said he's from your group, so you know, but he's praying now for you. I, I have a feeling that Paul knew a lot of the people in Colossae simply because he heard those names being lifted up in prayer. These were, this wasn't just some, some generic, um, I'm praying all around for everyone. There's nothing wrong with praying for the world, but let's make the world have a face and a name, and let's lift that name up to God. And that's what he did to them. He's praying for these saints specifically, and he mentions them by name. It wasn't some impersonal religious exercise. This was an, an intense prayer with, with names attached to it. God moved me to do something last night, and, and, and I, he does every once in a while. And I just kind of share with you, uh, what happened last night in this room, just, it was just me in the chairs, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to talk about today, and I kind of started walking up through the aisles of these chairs. And I'm walking out, and I'm, I'm picturing some of your faces. Scary, right? <laughs> I'm picturing some of your faces, and I, I'm looking, and, and as God would bring that face to mind, I would lift you up in prayer. Now, I don't say that for any other reason than, than God just reminded me that's how personal your prayers ought to be every week. That you're, you're not just praying for the church, praying for the people, but you need to be praying for the person that's sitting right there or the person that maybe is not sitting here. Maybe they're watching online. Maybe the person that, that has come and they're not, they're not back yet or the person just praying for them by name and in person and saying, God, and here's the thing that I noticed is I got closer to the back, not that you back people are worse off or anything, but the more, closer I got to the back, the more I felt God really moving in my heart. And I started thinking about the needs and some that had come to our church that I, I, they have not yet given a profession of knowing Christ or some that are struggling, they're discouraged. And God began to move in my heart. And folks, that's what this has to be. Intercession is about looking and praying the faces and the names. God, these people, I love them. God, do something in your life, their life because only you can do it, make a difference. Intercession is that kind of personal prayer. Last thing I'll give you about Epaphras. If intercession is a call to pray specifically. If you were to ask Epaphras, so when you pray for these people, what do you pray for? Well, it seems like Paul heard him pray, and he kind of got the content, because the next phrase says this, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Stand firm. Means don't give up any ground. The one thing, if you read Colossians, one of the main themes is the, the people of Colossians were being bombarded by so much false doctrine and untruth, and it was confusing, and they were, and, and Paul's trying to help correct that. And at some point, Epaphras is saying, God, help them to stand firm. Don't let them get moved and, and to fall off into something that's not true. Keep them firm. And he says, not only stand firm, but stand firm in all the will of God. Don't waver from what God has called you to do. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't, don't think something else is easier. Stand firm in God's will. And he says in that they'll be mature, not perfect but, and not sinless, but to be growing and to be changing life and to be letting God move and to literally be full of age. And then he says, and fully 
assured, confident in what you believe, confident in who you are in Christ, staying fully assured of what you know and what God has done. These are tremendous topics to pray for. But let me point out something. Do you notice that he did not mention health, finances, and nothing, those are important things to pray for when you're praying for others, lift up their needs, physic, but you, if you understand what I'm getting at, the most important thing that you're going to pray for somebody for is their relationship with Jesus Christ, their personal walk with God, that they know him and that they're growing in this walk with him. The, the most important thing is that, that, that all of these physical things are, are so important, but do you understand that God's saying through Paul and Epaphras that on all these struggles, the most important thing is that you, you know me better, that you're maturing, that you're growing in your faith. And that's how we're to be lifting up, that they stand firm, that they're growing in, in who they know to be in Jesus Christ. All of these things are, it's not dismissing the others, but the priority comes is, God, please help them to know you. Help them to stand firm. It, that job they have is just so hard on them. Give them strength to stand for them, for stand for you, to give them that kind of prayer. Do you understand what we're going through? Which leads us to the two kind of categories of these prayers that God calls us when we're in intercession. One is when we're praying for our spiritual family, praying for those others and, and the family that know Christ as Savior, other believers, followers of Christ. I'll, I'll turn your attention to James 5, and you can read this passage. Wonderful thing about prayer. And specifically, he's talking about praying for each other, this intercession. And there's several things. You do pray for their health. You do pray for their well-being. But when you come to verse number 16, he says this, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you may be healed. And that healing by context means not only physical, but spiritual, emotional, that you're praying so that God would do something in their life. But look at the last phrase. Don't miss it. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When you pray for others, God promises there's power in that. That when you're lifting up their, the other people's name and you're, you're interceding for them, God chooses to do something when you pray. Do I understand how prayer works? How an almighty God listening to a faulty human moves into the situation? I don't understand it, but God promises it's true. You lift up an intercession and God promises that prayer is powerful and effective. Griffin Thomas said this, he said, you know, there are many things outside of the power of ordinary Christians. We don't have the ability to just do all kinds, but he says there's one thing every Christian can do. Every Christian can pray. And then he uses this phrase, and when we pray, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. When you pray, you're talking to the one who's in charge. There's nothing more powerful, there's nothing more compassionate, there's nothing more loving you can do than genuinely before God intensely lifting up the needs of someone else before the throne of God. He prayed specifically for their needs, praying for each other. And so let me encourage you, when, when you say to someone, I'll pray for you, number one, do it. <laughs> Christians, we're, we're, we're renowned for saying, I'll pray for you and then not doing it. Now, maybe you've got past that. Maybe you don't have that problem. But I, it come, kind of just flies off the tongue. Oh, I'll pray for you, brother. And then a couple days later, I'll think, hmm, is there anybody I'm supposed to pray for? You know, it just leaves my mind. Here's something some of you have been sharing with me that I think is a great thing. When you're prompted to pray for someone, do it right then. <laughs> don't wait. 
And if they're standing in front of you when you have that prompting, then say, can I pray for you? And pray for them right there. Don't pray. Let God, let God move through you as you pray for them and, and do it. Mean it. But then when you do it, pray with confidence. God, I am praying for this brother or this sister, and I believe you want to move in their life. God, I trust that you're going to do that. Pray with that kind of confidence as you're praying for other people. But I want, to, I want you to know something else. In chapter 4, verse 3, Paul actually asked for a specific prayer request, something for them to pray for for him. Look what he says. Verse 3, he says, Pray for us too, talking about himself, that God may open a door for our message. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. That prayer request to me introduces that second group of people that God has called us to pray for. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Lift up their needs. Lift up their spiritual health. But pray for those who are still on the road to destruction. Pray for those who have not yet met Jesus Christ as Savior. I call your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 2. In that passage, Paul gives a specific way of intercession that we're to do. And I want you to see who he, he talks about. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for who? All people. It's a pretty big prayer. You'd be praying for all people. Now he describes specifically some of those all people. Look who he says. For kings, for all those in authority. For us, that would include presidents, governors, congressmen, mayors, anyone in authority over us. Pray for them. Look what he says. Pray that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior. When you pray for people and you pray for them, whoever they are, in leadership and all that, God is pleased with that. God's pleased when we lift up those prayers. But notice why in verse 4, because God our Savior wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you notice that repeat, that phrase? It said, pray for all people. Why? Because God loves all people. All people matter to God. All people are on God's radar, and all people should matter to us. Whoever they are, whatever they look like, wherever they stand, whatever you know about them, all people should matter to us as followers of Christ because that's, that's the heart of God. He says that our prayer is we're interceding. The context is telling us, pray that they come to know Jesus. Pray among all the people that you pray for that they come to know him. You know, here's what I find a lot of times when I'm praying. I pray for my brothers. Praying for brothers and sisters. Boy, I've got lots of lists, and that's a phenomenal way to do it. But how often am I truly interceding, begging, pleading God on the behalf of someone who's not yet met Jesus? I read a quote recently. I actually have it sitting on the front of my desk just something to keep reminding me of. And I'll, let, I'll just give it to you and let you chew on it. It goes like this. Too often our prayers are focused more on praying sick people out of heaven than praying lost people out of hell. When we pray for people who are sick, that's a phenomenal way we intercede, and I get that. But when I'm praying for a brother and sister and I pray that God heals them, and I do mean that, I want them to I want God to reach down and save them, and I hope that he does. But I also know that if they know Jesus Christ, if he chooses not to heal them here, that step is their ultimate healing. They get to see Jesus. It's actually a promotion for them. But that neighbor who's not yet met Jesus Christ 
if they die in that sinful condition, they spend eternity in a place called hell. It's a whole different ball game now. It puts a whole new emphasis on how important it is when we pray. Now, I understand. I probably got people already saying it's not very, not very kosher for you to say that people might be going to hell. That's not the culturally correct way of saying things. I mean, to, to say that, that's just unkind. That's not, that's, you're being judgmental if you're saying that, that there's a possibility that anybody may not be on this road to destruction. God wouldn't do that, however you want to say it. But please listen. God makes it very clear in Scripture that you're going to one of two places. It's either life or destruction. And in fact, Jesus said it this way. The road that goes to life is narrow, and there are few people on it. The road that's going to destruction is wide, and there are many people on it. If I hear Jesus right, he's saying that the majority of people in the world are on that road of destruction. So for us to say that there are people who need Jesus, folks, they're all around us. Everywhere you go, there are people that you're going to meet today that need to know salvation through Jesus Christ. There are potentially people listening to me right now on TV. There are people watching, and there are people in this room that need to know Jesus. And we go on in 1 Timothy where Paul is talking about this all people, and you'll see in verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There it is again. All people were to pray for because all people matter to God. And in fact, he loved them so much that he sent his son to die for all people, give his life as a ransom. If, if someone's on their road to hell, it's not because that there's anything other than they're lost in their sin. It wasn't because they didn't go to church enough. It wasn't because they're, they're not as good a person as their neighbor. It's that they don't know Jesus, but Jesus came so they could know eternal life and be ransomed. And he died and rose again so that they could have life. And if they do, they, they know God forever. But the people without him Here's the point. We that know him, we know this truth. We know that God has saved us. What are we going to do with that in the people that we're going to meet this week? Go back to Abraham, our opening story. Abraham, as he's, as he's interceding in that passage for other people, here's why. Because Abraham was given some inside information from the Lord himself that judgment's coming on those people. And that moved Abraham. Let me share with you, Christians, we have some inside information. And that is that every person without Jesus Christ is headed to destruction. We know that. We have that inside information. Are we going to be moved to do anything about it? To pray for them and to do something to help point them to Jesus? You say, well, I, I don't want to be uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's kind of an awkward topic talking religion and Jesus stuff. Or I don't want them to be uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to make them feel like that I'm judging them or I feel like I'm better than them. Or here, here's the truth. Some of us are more worried that their morality is different or their political party is different than ours, more worried than that, than whether they know Jesus or not. It comes down to this point, folks. Do we realize how important it is that there is a destruction headed for so many people and Jesus says, there is hope if they know him. And we know that answer. Go back to that original thing with Abraham. I know I kind of played it as kind of a bargaining thing, him and, and God. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think it was that at all. I think it's Abraham being moved by the ultimate outcome of their lives. He's saying, God, please, if there's just 50, 
wait, 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 God, I don't know if there's 50. What about 45, 30? God, if there's only 10, would you save them from destruction if you just find 10? He's pleading, he's begging for the lives of those who are lost. And sometimes I have to be honest, that's not how my heart goes. Oh, I want to see people saved, but is my heart moved to beg the God of this universe to bring them to himself? Here's what I, I know is true. The Bible's clear that those without Christ are headed for destruction. But please know this, that God's not pleased by that outcome. It's not like some people picture God as just ready to strike people and kind of almost in laughter when they, when they fall. That's not God at all. Listen to Ezekiel 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. God's desire is that they would know truth. Peter put it this way in 2 Peter 3. He said, the Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So when you feel your heart moved for those in your life that are on the road to destruction, a neighbor, a friend, and you feel your desire, God, please save them. Please bring someone in their life that will show them. Help me to show them. When you're feeling that compassion, you're feeling the heart of God. You're feeling the agenda of God for, for those people and you're, you're, you're actually wording back to him what his desire is for those folks. So, so as we, we come to this, my prayer is on the behalf of others, am I going to be willing to pray with intensity? Pray constantly, pray personally, pray specifically, God, for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for those who not, do not yet know you. God, I come to you and say, do something miraculous in their lives. I, I want to kind of wrap it up as we come to the end of this 21 days. If you've been in our journal, today's thing, the 21st day, on this day, the, the author gives us an example of something that many of the churches he's involved with, the converged churches, for several years now have been kind of quoting a, a phrase, quoting a sentence <coughs> that I thought is really powerful in the way that we end this. And it, it goes like this. This is what they've been praying in behalf of other people. They say, pray that each one reach one, each one raise one, each one start one, and each one send one. Now that sounds interesting, but let me explain it. Each one reach one. That means the prayer is that every person in our congregation would have the opportunity to bring someone to faith. And that's my prayer for us this year, that in our congregation all across both our, our services and online, that you would have an opportunity this year to lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. Each one reach one. Each one raise one. That is, that we, after we, while we're involved, we're also helping others take their next step in maturity. It may be in a small group. It may be just putting arm of encouragement and praying for them. But each one raising one up to take steps to follow Jesus. The next two are more church-reminded when it talks about each one start one. It's talking about every congregation intentionally planting another church that more people in another location can, can be reached for Christ. We have, we have some churches right now that we support that are doing just that. They're starting to reach people. But the prayer this year, God, would you bring another church planter to us and help us to start a, a church? And then the last one, each one send one. The prayer being that from our congregation, there would be those sent out not only to reach our neighborhood, but to reach 
maybe another city or to reach around the world, much like our missionaries, the Goodmans or the, the Wendells or Eric Ream, that God takes them from here and he's planted them other places doing what he's called them to do. To, so God send one. Hear that again. Each one, reach one. Each one, raise one. Each one, start one. Each one, send one. So let me add one more to that today. Each one, pray for one. Each one of us this year, let God burden us to take advantage of this powerful, powerful practice of intercession. Pray for one. Pray for that one of your, your family, your church, that you find out their needs, whatever it is, from physical to spiritual and all across the board. And it's not just going through the list, but each Sunday, each day, praying for them, intensely agonizing in prayer, saying, God, please do something incredible in their life. Each one of us praying for someone else. Will you accept this call, this high calling to intercede for others for Jesus Christ? And by that, I mean do it constantly. Do it intensely. Do it personally. Do it specifically. God, please move in the lives of people. And then take the opportunity, not only praying for brothers and sisters, but praying for for our world, our community, and, and many on, in that places who are on the road to destruction. You just open up the paper. You'll find lots of things to pray for, lots of areas to intercede before God. God, please move in people's lives. Please move in and do something that only you can do. The question is, that's the opportunity. Will we do it? Will we accept this high calling? Will you accept the challenge to, to lift up people in that way before God to let God do something incredibly powerful? in their lives. In fact, on your info card at the bottom, the connection card, I actually left some spaces for you to think about a name today, a, a brother or sister in Christ, a name that you would put in there that I'm going to agonize, I'm going to intensely pray with them, and then a place for someone that you know or you, you're, you feel is probably not a follower of Christ yet, and you put their name and you pray and you lift them up to the throne of God. Will we take this challenge and say, God, I believe you can do something powerful and effective praying. I'm going to pray for others that way. I want to end with the words of Jesus today. Matthew chapter number 9, verse 37, where Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, he said, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out labors into his harvest. Pray earnestly. Pray with intensity. God, send people to show others how to come to you. Send others into the harvest. Here's what I believe that the big part of that prayer is. You pray that prayer, and then you become an answer to your own prayer. God, send someone and start right here with me. As Isaiah said, here am I, God. Send me. Pray earnestly that God would send and then let me be the answer to that. The, yesterday's devotional in our book, that, speaking of this particular verse, the author said, I remember hearing a man say this about this verse. We need to pray to God to wreck our lives on the behalf of those who need to know Jesus. Would you be willing to say, God, 
sin labors and wreck me until I am moved, until I am agonizing over those who need Jesus, and then I'll do something about it. I will start with prayer, and I won't stop there. I'll do what I can to point them to Jesus. I'll pray that he puts them in the right situations, brings people in their lives, and I'll be willing to be the one that tells them, but God, please do something for others. As we wrap up, I have two questions for you today, very simple. Number one, do you know this Jesus personally? Has there been a point in your life when you realized you were a sinner, you were on that road to destruction, and you realized that Jesus died and rose again for you, and you needed that gift of salvation? Have you received him? Has there been a point in your life when you turned your life to Christ and said, God, forgive me, save me, I want to follow you? Do you know Jesus? Most important question you'll answer today, do you know him personally? If not, would you receive him today? Call out to him, God, I am a sinner and I need a savior and I believe Jesus died and rose for me. Please save me. Would you do that today? Second question, Christians, what has God encouraged you about or challenged you about, about prayer these past few weeks? And even specifically today, what's that name that he's put on your heart to write in those blanks? A fellow Christian that you need to to fervently lift up to him and a neighbor, a friend, a relative, a coworker, someone who needs Jesus. God, I'm praying that they'll come to know you. What's God said to you, believers? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As we consider what God has said to us today, and, and let me just encourage you to take this time and, and just respond as God has spoken to you. If you're here today and you have not received Jesus in the quietness of this moment, just call out to him, God, save me, please, forgive me. If you're a Christian, maybe right now be lifting up those names that God has in your mind or maybe just as I've been praying recently, God, move my heart to be a true intercessor for others. What does that look like for you? Father, thank you. We love you. Thank you for moving in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we take what you said to us today and we truly apply it. Thank you for sending your son in our behalf. Now, Lord, help us to go in the behalf of others to your throne and pray and lift their names up to you. Thank you for this high calling. Help us to make the best use of it this week. And Lord, if there's one here today, one listening online today who's not yet received Christ as Savior, please stir in their heart this need call them to call out to you and receive your salvation. Our heads stay bowed and eyes closed. Music begins. God has spoken to you. I invite you to, to respond. Call out to him as he's spoken to you. If you have questions that I can answer, please, I'd, I'd love to speak to you after this service. Or if you're online, you can e email me or you can write it on your connection card or something. I'd love to follow up and just let help you to see what God is offering to you today. So as the music continues, I invite you to take this time and speak to the Father. Maybe speak to the Father on behalf even of someone else as we continue this morning.